Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. This time out, stage number two of my chat with New England Auto Racing Hall of Famer, May Motorsports Hall of Famer inductee, Oxford Plains champion, and of course, Bush North champion of 1995, Scarborough's Kelly Moore. My name's Andy Austin, and we get into the peak Bush North years in stage number two. But before we do, we need to dig into Kelly's welcome to NASCAR moment. It happened at Indianapolis Raceway Park in 1988. Now, compared to the Bush South guy, North guys completely underfunded. However, Kelly shows up, grabs the pole, which gets the attention of NASCAR officials. Not only gets the pole, but ends up leading a bunch of the race. I'm going to let him tell the story. Also in this episode, he joins Gardner Levitt, and they team up for a pretty incredible run in the American-Canadian Tour, including taking some of Tom Curley's money that, well, Tom didn't want to part with. And if it wasn't for June Levitt, the team definitely would not have seen that money. It's a great story. Also, Kelly continues to run in the Bush North Series, but the championship eludes him, and we talk about how frustrating that is, and he eventually, spoiler alert, becomes champion. Open Trailer Podcast directly benefits Maine Vintage Race Car Association. Please subscribe to our organization, less than $2 a month. The link is up at mainvintagerace.org. What that does, your contribution ensures that we can store these artifacts at a climate-controlled temperature. Keep everything in pristine condition so that when we do roll it out, Maine Motorsports Hall of Fame, Summerfest, it was cast at Speedway, any place that we go, the message continues to be clear as we preserve the history of racing in Maine. This podcast could always use a little help. It doesn't just happen. If you enjoy what you hear, there's a virtual tip jar at patreon.com slash open trailer podcast. For just $5 a month, you can ensure that this train continues to roll. Let's get right into it. Stage number two of Kelly Moore on Open Trailer Podcast. Well, let's think about this. 1988, another combination race. You bring up in, uh, Indianapolis Raceway Park, which Correct. is now Lucas Oil Speedway. There you go. And one of the best racetracks out there, I think. Why did you gravitate to that track so quickly? It's a relatively flat track. I mean, yeah, it's got a little banking, but it doesn't get a lot. Uh, we, uh, I don't know. We went out there, and, and we ran good right off the bat. Did anybody think you were illegal? Oh yeah, you kidding me? Absolutely, because we, we were fast. <laughs> you're the north. There. We weren't supposed to do that. You're the north guy, and you're kind of looked at in, in the grand scheme of NASCAR as kind of like the little brother on the side mm-hmm, that's uh, you know asking you to shine the car or whatever. But you go out there. Let's look at the top five: the Waltrips, both of them, Daryl and Michael, Rob Moroso, and Morgan Shepard. You beat them all. 
got a poll in a Bush South race, which had not been done. Not no one had even sniffed that in the in the combination races. Uh, what was that like for you as a driver? Uh, what was that like for your team? And how did that help you? How did that help propel you in 1988? Well, <clears throat> I remember when I won the poll, the team was ecstatic. And then once we found out that uh, bring the car to inspection, they started tearing it apart. The team mm. all stood around with these big long faces on. Yeah, we got to put this back together. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're inspecting the car after, you know, which they'd already been through inspection, a pretty rigorous inspection in the mm-hmm. Bush South before you even go on the racetrack. So I remember Bobby Scrubs tearing my carburetor apart. He had the carburetor not. He wasn't just checking it with the tools. They had it all apart, laying all over this bench. Okay. And um, he was a he was good good guy. Bobby was, um, and uh, he he says to, I said what are you looking for? He says I'm going to tell you when I he says if I find it I'll tell you. And I said, looked at my oh. my crew members and we're standing around there. And I finally turned around and I said to him I said you could tell me that that right there is illegal. I have no idea. I buy the carburetors. It's gone through tech before we went on the racetrack. I don't know anything hmm. other than that. You know, I'm I'm kind of victim of circumstance if they tell me I'm illegal here. So I was sweating it. I was big time sweating it. But they got it back together, and then mm-hmm. you go out and you lead some laps that night too. Uh, we led, yeah, we led laps until they black flagged me uh, out of the lead, which was what? Uh, <laughs> I don't know this story. <laughs> you don't know that story. I don't know the story about you getting black flagged out yeah. of the lead. Well, Daryl was second, as you said. Mm-hmm. He was on the outside pole. So when we took the green flag. He almost passed me before we got to the start finish line. I mean, not, I mean, we raced out in the turn one, and I took off, and and I'm I led the first few laps, and um, we had a we had a caution. Not many laps into the race, I can't remember how many. Thirty but something. I, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I pulled away. From, I pulled away from Darren. We were comfortably. Um, Holding our own very well. Is this a V6 or V8? Uh, V6. V6. Jack Tan V6, yeah. And anyway, the next caution, um, we went to take, we were single file restarts, lap cars to the outside. Daryl passed me on the inside oh. before we got to the start finish line. <laughs> right. Not I supposed said, to do it, yeah. No problem. They're going to put him back. No. Huh. No. So they they did not. And, so how uh, did you get black flagged? Well, we had another restart, and 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 I picked up the pace as Daryl. I saw Daryl trying to get around me, mm-hmm. okay, and I picked up the pace, and they warned me. And this may not be exactly how it was. Um, I'm driving the car. My yeah, crew would probably. It's your it, podcast. <laughs> you can say what you want. <laughs> no, I don't want to mis- yeah. misquote it though. But anyway, long story short, I got warned for trying to keep Daryl behind me, basically. Mm. And I'm leading the race because he tried to pass me. On a single file restart, doesn't the leader set the pace? I'm pretty sure it was a single file restart, and I'm pretty sure the lap cars were on the outside at that time. Right. Leader sets the pace. Right. Um, Anyway, I got warned. I can tell you that. It was Mm -hmm. on the second restart. I got warned. Um, Daryl did pass me. I passed him back, took the lead back, was leading when we got... The next to the next restart, we had another caution flag. I don't know how many laps it was in the race. We had another caution flag, and I'm like, "This is not going to happen again." Okay. <laughs> so, and they, and then my crew's like, "Look, they already warned us. Don't jump the restart here." I Daryl went to pass me on the inside. I protected it. 
didn't jump the restart, but I kept him behind you. I was supposed to be setting the pace here. Yeah. They black flagged me out of the lead on that restart. Son of a gun. And brought me in for a stop and go and held me. On a... On a green flag. Yeah, on a six-tenth mile racetrack. So I no. finished, I believe, sixth or seventh in that race, but I finished with the leaders right on that bumper, a lap down. That... That's funny because I, I didn't know that story, but I knew that you finished seventh that race. Seventh, and I'm like, there you go. I'm like, yeah. oh, maybe you just fell back a little bit. No, 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 no. no. You no, came they, up and you charged to the field they again. Brought me in the pit and did a stop and go, and it was one of the longest pit roads I ever went down because oh I God. knew the car yeah. was fast. I knew I knew what was going on. Right, and it was uh, it was a it was a lesson. One of the learned. things that you know, I think a casual fan who's watched you over the course of your time would imagine that compared to the North teams, you had a fairly large budget, but when you go and race the, the South, how much is your budget compared to those guys at that time? Oh, we no, And I mean, not even close. I mean, mm. uh, you know, we had Jack Ingram, had Skull. Uh, yeah, you know, you had a lot of a lot of big um, Rob Moroso, uh, Daryl Walthrop, uh, yes. both the Walthrops. I mean, uh, uh, Google clusters. I mean, uh, uh, what was Tommy Ellis? Oh I mean, yes, all, yes, all ninety nine car. Every car we were racing against had national sponsors. Yeah. Okay, uh, I had I see more transportation. Jordan Lumber. Uh, which you family know, sponsorships right. the whole way through. You know, we didn't have any national sponsorships. We didn't have any full time people. These guys all had full time crews. You know, yeah. ma- uh, national marketing on their car. So big difference. Uh, in nineteen eighty eight, you also drive a modified at Martinsville. Do you remember that? No? Okay, we won't talk about it then. No, no, it no. Sa- it says you drove a, mo- a, uh, no. a modified race at Martinsville. And no, that was it. me. That was a bush car. That was, okay. That so, was a bush car at oh, Martinsville. Well, Racing Reference got it wrong, because I'm like, I don't think Kelly... No, I'd never been in a modified, actually. Wow. No, that was a bush car. Um, uh, went, I can remember that well, because we went to... That was a brand new car. Was that it was, your car? It was my car. After It was a brand new Monte Carlo. We went to... Daytona, after Daytona, we came all the way back to Maine, got the short track car, went back to Martinsville. Brand new Stevie Levitt car that he'd built uh, for me, NRP chassis, I mean not NRP, uh, Steve Levitt chassis. Hmm. And uh, I remember he had put a couple pipes in the back of the car. They they went all over the car with sonogram, uh, you know, measuring all the pipes, A-frames, door bars, and all that stuff. And they found two pipes in the car that I had to take it after practice that night and go to Hubert Hensley's shop and replace these two major pipes in this car. Brand new race car. Cut them out and put new ones in. But Is Hubert related to Jeff Hensley yeah, and Hubert's, Jimmy Hensley? Yep, yep. yep. Brother? Yeah. Uh, Hubert Hensley and Jimmy Hensley, I believe, were cousins. Okay. And Jeff Hensley was uh, the son of Hubert Hensley. NASCAR royalty, basically, yep, at that yep, point, in yep. that in that in yep. that facet of racing. Yeah, they lived right there in Horsepasture, Hus- Virginia, right mm. close to Martinsville Speedway, and we we knew those people. I'd, I'd done some work with them before. And, yep. Talk about some of the relationships you started to form when you were uh, the North guy excelling in, in the quote-unquote South races. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of them. Uh, you know, like I say, when I went to the racetrack, I, uh, I kind of watched... I really paid attention to the racetrack. Was wasn't a guy that was real sociable. I mm. uh, wasn't. I wasn't the Ricky Craven that went out and and marketed myself with other people or with sponsors and stuff. Uh, when I went to the racetrack, that's why Dave Dion says I I never knew you, <laughs> right? Type of thing because him and I didn't talk. If we talk, we usually a NASCAR official standing there, and they were lecturing both of us at the time. <laughs> but uh, one of the one of the you know I I attracted some attention from some different people, some of the races, and I think one of the 
I don't know the first time that I attracted his attention, but the first time that I got spoke to from Dale Earnhardt was at Jennerstown Speedway. We had some ex- success out in Jennerstown Speedway. A lot like, um, you know, size-wise, same as IRP. Correct. You know, and there's a lot of speed there at that yep. track. Yeah, a lot of similarities. Is that when Dale ran the North Race yes. at Jennerstown? Yep. Can you uh, talk about that day? Well, we... Uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure if I I won a few polls there at Jennerstown. I'm not sure if this is the race I won the poll at, but I know I won the race. I do remember that. Hmm. And the reason that he did come and uh, talk to me is after the race, he came over and congratulated me. And he said, you really whooped up on us out here. And he was he came out and he was he was a guy that was promoting the race and brought in brought in uh, fans obviously he usually drove someone else's car i believe he drove uh, the shaw's car mm-hmm. i think at that time but um that was the first time he'd ever spoke to me first time i'd met him uh, very you know it really wasn't a real long conversation but he did take the time to come over and congratulate me at my mm-hmm. transporter after the race which i thought was pretty neat and uh, kind of formed a, a relationship with dale uh, over the years from several other races that I raced in with him. What bonded you two together aside from racing? It seems like Dale surrounded himself with people who he could relate to. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. He was, <clears throat> he, he also, I felt was really kind of uh, quiet uh, to himself type of guy. I mean, he mm. got, he, he wasn't a big promoter of himself. I mean, he was he got a lot of attention, but I don't think he was a big uh, one, you know, flamboyant type of racer like a Tim Richmond. Right. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah no, certainly. Even though Tim and him did hang around together. Yeah. But uh, I uh, I saw him uh, just, um, you know, over the years there, uh, when I, whenever I was at a racetrack, and Dale Earnhardt was at that racetrack. He would always come. He would come seek me out after that. He he'd come from the cup pit over in the bush pit, and say hi, walk into his transporter or walking out to his coach or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Uh, several, several different times that happened, but uh, we ended up. Um, I remember uh, what got us together a little bit is uh, we bought a. My father bought was sponsoring Dick McCabe. He was sponsoring me. And he was I was going to say, Dick wait a McCabe. minute, your dad was sponsoring something like a competitor? <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. But that he was sponsoring Dick McCabe when I was still racing Saturday nights. Okay. And Dick was racing on the core store. So, so like 82. Yeah, something okay. like 83 or 4, yeah, something yeah. like that. How that happened is, oh. is my father was sponsoring Dick McCabe, and they decided Dick McCabe wanted to go run in the Daytona 500. The 500, so, not the goodies. No, not the goodies race at the okay. time. This is the 500. So they get a car together. Louis Stewart's involved. My father's involved. Dick McCabe, Mike D'Amico. So they fund their res- They put all the resources together. And Dick decided. <clears throat> my father got a connection with uh, um, Richard Childress, and he made a deal with Richard that he would buy two engines off him for the Daytona 500. So McCabe, Dick McCabe, bought one. And my father bought one. So that's how we ended up introducing, okay. and got the introduction to Richard Childress. So from there, when I was trying to qualify for the Goodies 300, I was down there practicing. And I'd, I'd spun the car out in practice, okay? Oh, okay. Coming off turn four. And my father comes over, he doesn't say too much. And pretty soon he says to me, he says, yeah, Childress and I were standing up on top of his transport. And he says, we're watching you practice. And you went into turn three and Childress says, he's going to spin out. He's going to spin out. He says, you carried that thing all the way through turn four, three and four, and spun out actually in four, landed up on the front stretch. 
And uh, he said, Dale was standing up there with us, and he just looked at us and kind of grinned. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but uh, no, you know, over the years, we've formed a little relationship with Dale. And then uh, through that relationship we had with Childress, we ended up buying a car off Dale and Hunt Incorporated. Uh, not in Dale, yeah, it was, it was not Dale. And Basically, pre DEI. Yeah, pre DEI. Was this the so was this car. the car that you took south in '89? Yes. To run the goodies. Yeah. So again, uh, main main guy goes down to Daytona before a lot of other people had. You're a bit of a pioneer in in that department. Um, you are in the race. Uh, first of all, tell me what it's like to be at Daytona for the first time. <laughs> Very eye opening. It was. Talk about a fish out of water. We were way out of water. I thought we were out of water when we mm. <laughs> when we went to Indianapolis. We were way out of water there. I mean, we were. Uh, we didn't. I didn't have anything. Anybody in my crew that had any speedway experience, experience at all. So we were. Um, it, it was just um, we got help from a few different people prior to going there. But once you were there, you were on your own. And mm. I went down there and tested. I think we went there in eighty nine and ninety. Is that what the stats yep. say? Yep. Yeah. I remember watching you on TV, and uh, of course I was cheering for you. You know, local guy goes down there. Of course, you're a 74. Why are you a 74 at this point? Uh, because uh, Robert Hamke, that I was speaking to you about earlier, uh, this he had a bush car, and he wasn't a driver, but he had people driving it, and he was, those were 47 anyway. So, so it can't be the 17, no. can't be the 47, so logical choice. You're the 74, but you're going backwards yeah. down the backstretch. That's never a good thing. Uh, that was the second year I was there, I believe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. coming out of turn two, uh, L, um LD Ottinger went to pass me and he just in the AS we had 20 degree spoilers then wow. I mean practically nothing for a spoiler back then yeah. and the car felt like it, you felt like he was running down the main turnpike with a right rear tire flat the car was just moving all over the place and that's where you had to drive him because that's that was fast mm. and uh, you know the first year we went there and the second year we qualified on the first day which was amazing yeah. for me. That was like an accomplishment just to get qualified. <laughs> for those that don't remember, uh, I think they took the top 20. Correct. And then the rest of the field. Right. So you made it on day one. The second day they took the rest of the field mm-hmm. and the third day. And then after, and those usually like 60 plus cars trying to qualify for. Right. What? 38, 40 positions, something yeah. like that. That's yep. quite the accomplishment. So going down the back, coming off the back stretch there, going backwards, yeah, that uh, that uh, that was a real eye opener right there. <laughs> <laughs> a- Doing 180 plus miles an hour, going backwards, and uh, you know everything. Got, you know, the wind, first the windshield shatters, you know, and then the hood bows up because you're going the wrong way, and the air's coming over the car the wrong way, so it just kind of blows everything up on the car. So, so this is right around the time they hadn't invented roof flaps yet. No. Uh, what kind of windshield do you have that's popping out? Uh, it was an Alexan windshield. It was a regular glass windshield. Glass and windshield. Just, and it just, you know, safety glass. And all of a sudden, the thing just spiders in front of me. Yeah. You know, no safety restraints back then either. No neck restraints. Yeah. I mean, you had safety, you know, safe seat. Did you feel you were safe at the time? Yeah, at the time, I felt I wouldn't drive like I did back then. <laughs> right, right. Again, down there, that's for sure. Uh, you know, 1989 and 90 is what we're focusing on right now. And you mentioned uh, your relationship with, with Steve Levitt, Gardner, and June. You end up not only... So let's see if we can paint the picture here. You're still involved with the business. Mm-hmm. You know, you're running the business here, R.C. Moore. You're running north and south all over the eastern seaboard with Bush, Bush South, Bush North. And then on your off days, what are you going to do? You're going to run the 1X car? 
Yeah, I got approached by Gardner. Um, Andy, you have to help me here. Was yeah. that 88, 89? That was 1989. 89, yeah. Because uh, uh, Stevie uh, Levitt had been doing building some chassis for me, some bush chassis for me hmm. prior to this. And uh, Gardner was getting along in his... Uh, Heydays, he's gone by, yeah, and he the was the geezer from Geezer. Yeah, and uh, he uh, he asked me if I wanted to drive the One X, and I was like, you know, very honored to do that, and uh, ended up driving it. He says, um, you know, we'll build the car, you supply the motor and the seat, and I said, oh boy, that's a good deal. Yeah, <laughs> that's a real good deal. I mean, this guy, you know, he's a you know, in his day, was a a, a real fierce competitor, uh, won a lot of races, and raced all his life. As uh, Stevie raced for quite a while also. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> right. So that has to be, again, to, to speak to what you said about the honor, um, you know, the first guy they think of is is Kelly Moore. And to put you in that Buick Regal, yep. Um, yep. what was it? You, you've been used to, to working with your, did you bring your crew or were you working with Gardner's crew? No, I worked with Gardner's crew solely. Um, you know, Roger, uh, his son-in-law, which is uh, Robert Deeren, mm. uh, Jerry Donahue, Jerry Donahue's son, Patrick Donahue, Roger Edgecombe. Uh, there's a couple more on the crew there. Um, I'm not very good with names. Right. I can. It's I can, 40 years ago. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah. Appreciate that, Andy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> how about 40? How about 35? 35. 35 years. So, but anyway, no, I jumped right in the seat and I took to that kind of like fishing, fish to water. It really, I mean, Stevie was an expert on the chassis and mm-hmm. was a very complicated car. It wasn't just a coilover car. He had torsion bars on this car on the back of it. Yeah. Very, very finicky. We had a lot of success with it. Uh, we went over, I believe, uh, the first or second race maybe even that we raced with it was at Beatridge. Mm-hmm. Ended up winning. I remember seeing um, race you race. There. Well, uh, the win that I'm showing is at Seekonk. Uh, that was the biggest one. But uh, we won at, we won at uh, Beatridge also. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, right, I remember being in victory lane and having the big wreath around my neck, and it was a big A auto parts or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what they, that was uh, one of those yeah big A auto parts when they had the act combos. Yeah, something like that. I, so, I won a race over there, I remember. Let's bring Tom Curley back into it. You, okay. you, uh, you in 86, you know, you start running the ACT tour, then you go and you have all the success in NASCAR. And you're still having success. It's not like you were just hopping back over to act for a year. You were doing both, mm-hmm. which I think is lost on a lot of people and how busy yep. uh, you were. You come back to act. What is Tom like now? Uh, <clears throat> Tom was, a, he, you know, because the Levitts were a fixture in mm-hmm. act. Yeah. Okay. They were they, the patch truck, the whole works. Okay. They were a fixture. So they were accepted. Now they're bringing this driver in that's driving for NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> and Tom's like, because you know? <laughs> in, in retrospect, it seems weird that they were just, you know, fighting back and forth, but it was bitter for mm-hmm. the first few years between oh, NASCAR yeah. and, and Curly. Oh yeah. Tom. Yeah. He didn't. So he, they bring me in and, um, you know, and you got to remember, I raced with Tom for like half a year, and then I elected to go with NASCAR. Correct. And now, two two years later, I come back, and I'm going to drive. I'm driving NASCAR weekly, every week. Mm-hmm. We're going somewhere, and I'm driving this at car when it doesn't conflict with the NASCAR. So, yeah, he didn't have a lot to say to me. No. <laughs> what about when you won and you were winning those races? Uh I believe he did congratulate me. Uh, he didn't go out of his way to do it, but uh, right. he, he, Tom was good to me. But uh, the one race that I that really sticks out in my mind that we won, we went to Seekonk, and I hadn't been to Seekonk. 
I'm not sure I'd even been in a bush cab before. I don't think that they had uh, run. I don't that, think I had uh, ever been to Seekonk in my life. ACT as, was running Seekonk because it, it used yeah. to be a thing where some tracks could hold, host both, but many, you either NASCAR or you were ACT. Yeah, so we went down there and Dion was running ACT, Paul Richardson, um, Robbie, um, those, I mean... Russ Erland. Russ Erland. We, we, you didn't have just a few fast guys. You had a lot of fast Cabana, guys. Cabana, Randy McDonald. Yeah, you got it. Right. I mean, there was, a, there was a long list of really good guys. And I go there with Gardner, and first time I'd, I believe I'd ever seen the place, and I'm like, well, boy, I'm in trouble here. Right. You know, we got to really pull up. My bootstraps up tight to run with these guys. Well, we go out and we practice and we practice respectively. And then we draw for the heat race and um, we wasn't right on the front. I remember that. I had to work for it. But I ended up winning the heat race. And, uh, you know, that was a pretty big highlight um, yeah. to go to a racetrack and hadn't been to. So, uh, is pretty happy. He doesn't say much, but he's pretty happy. And uh, Stevie's uh, working on the car. We get ready and uh, they go, we got to go out for this race. And I said, well, what's this race? Well, we got to go to a B feature. I said, what's a B feature? I don't know. Right. We've done the B feature. Okay, we're going to go up. It's a, well, all the top three from the last uh, three heat races or something like that, yeah. they go into a feature race. Oh, okay, so all the heavy hitters go in one race. All right, yeah. good. So we go out and we run this race. And I don't know how we lined up for that. I, th- I almost think that they took you by your heats. But anyway, we ended up winning the B feature too. So now I'm, I'm pretty ecstatic. Okay. So June comes to me. She goes, you know, they have this thing they call the Triple Crown. And I said, oh, what's that? She says, if you win all three of these races, you get a bonus. And that bonus rolls over every week. And I'm like, oh, you're really putting some pressure on me here. (laughs) What do you mean it rolls (laughs) over? Welcome to the team. She said, it hasn't been won in, I don't know how many, how long, a year and a half or something like that. So it was up to like $7,600 just Right. The bonus on top of winning the race. Wow. And I'm like, I really wish you didn't tell me that until after the race. Mm. So they did. So here I am, this snot-nosed kid, and I've got all this pressure on me, and everybody's watching. They know I've won the heat. They yeah. know I've won the B feature. You're in the legendary 1X car. We're in the 1X, and yeah. we got to go out and win this race. And I'm like, oh, boy, I'm going to choke on this one for sure. But we went out, and um, come down near the end of the race, I found myself in a position to uh, – I was right up – I got up front – because if I remember right, there was something on a handicap system that Tom had put together. Yeah. And if you were not a regular, you didn't, didn't matter where you qualify, you didn't start that near, near the front. You right. were back a ways. I couldn't remember. I don't think anybody else could figure out how it worked anyway. He, no one His, handi- his yeah. handicap system was definitely unique. Yeah. Milt Wright would start up front, and so would Barney <laughs> McRae. There you go. And then there's the rest of the field. So anyway, I got to the front, and lo and behold, um, you got Dion and Paul Richardson. And now you talk about two hard guys to get around. Yeah, and they know that racetrack. Oh, yeah. They had raced there before. So I got, um, if I remember right, I think um, Jerry Donahue was spotting for me on the other end of the radio. So he's coaching me, and he done a darn good job because I got the thing in the lead. But it wasn't without some smoke flying, I'll tell you. Mm. And I never bunted anybody out of the way, but I remember uh, they, it's a, it's Seekonk, there's no place to go. Right. <laughs> there's a cement wall all the way around that thing, and, there's, and it, it's pretty tight racing. And uh, we ended up winning the race, and uh, 
that was a pretty joyous time. The nuns, the sister, whatever she was, was there's a nun that owned the racetrack, and they come down and they blessed you. Yeah, blessed you, and the whole wow. the works afterwards, and it was uh, it was pretty special. But uh, that was definitely a, one of the highlights of one of the races, the big races, and just to win it for the for the Levitts, that was even more special. The one X car is synonymous with Gardner Levitt and the whole Levitt family throughout you know decades of racing. And Gardner hadn't been running up front on a regular basis towards the end of his career. Like many drivers, you know, they'll tail off a little bit. Correct. But it must have been something for them to see that, that you know, to be put them back on that platform, to put them in victory lane. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the smiles <clears throat> the smiles on their face were definitely uh, big that night. And then... And, then <laughs> and Stevie. <laughs> yeah, and Stevie. Uh, Stevie doesn't didn't show a lot of emotion like God, but uh, June was quite uh, elated that uh, you know we'd um, put the one X back in victory lane. So we we went through inspection and, and done all that, and we're loading up, and pretty soon <laughs> June came back, and I didn't really know she'd been gone. She came back, and I guess there was a discussion: Did I actually qualify to win that triple crown bonus? And Tom oh, and June. No, no, had, no, no. Oh, yeah. Tom and June had quite a discussion. Now, I wasn't there, but she told me a little bit about it. And and, and if you ever saw June get fired up, she can put you yep. put them in their place. Oh, absolutely. And um, it took her a while to get that money out of Tom. It, it, she didn't. Uh, that discussion was not final that night. We'll put it that way. It was probably because you weren't a full-time driver. Correct. So, I wasn't a full-time driver, and June claimed that it was nowhere in... But it's a full-time car. Right. It was nowhere in the rules that say you had to be a full-time driver to, to win the triple crown. You just had to win all three races. You're trying to tell me that Tom Curley tried to take $7,600 <laughs> out, out of the Levitt family? Son of a gun. Yep. So. May he rest in peace. But, no, I mean, and, and just think of that. I mean, imagine being Tom Curley. And you have this tour. You, he's having major success by that time. Both of them were, both Bush North and, and ACT. And you're in one camp or the other camp, and then there's you, who races in NASCAR, comes to act, and nobody's been able to win this triple crown money until the NASCAR guy comes in, and I can see where he would probably be like, ah, yeah. asterisk. I'm not giving this away to yeah. the right guy. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't giving it away, I'll tell yeah, you that. I, no. he, we work for Art, and we put on, then the, if I remember play right, Seekonk, when the act cars came there, was absolutely mobbed packed mm-hmm. yeah no I was at that race it, it you was, were yes oh were you as a fan okay yeah. so it was Richardson and Dion that I was I don't remember the about. specifics yeah, of it I remember sure a really big crash of Buzzy Byzantin yeah that's about all of, but I remember it being a, a pretty wild race mm-hmm. yep. I would remember most every ACT race from that era would have Richardson starting somewhere in the top six and he would go out and he would just because he's a sprint he's a super modified guy yeah. so he'd go out and he'd lead like 35 laps blow wide, everybody away wide open for the first yeah Yes, yeah. and then the field would catch up to him, and then he'd finish eighth and not figure out why. Yeah, you know. Yep. But even at like good analogy, yeah, thirteen, I understood that. <laughs> I understood you. Well, it's because you race thirty-five lap races most of the time. <laughs> but you know, um, we've been talking with Kelly Moore about um, all the different facets of your life. You run an ACT, you have NASCAR, you have the family business as well, which we have documented earlier in this podcast is very, very specific. Um, that you need a lot of focus to do what you do, and I think that ties in. Into, I know during the pre-interview, we, I asked you why you were so good at qualifying. It makes so much sense to me that you were so good at two very or one very precise lap. 
Like you just, you know, they say hit your marks or everything like that. But it makes so much sense that you were the first guy to really adapt to the the time trialing, which wasn't the norm prior to NASCAR taking over in the late 80s. Because you get 10 poles in 1988. Ten times you sat on the pole. I'm looking around in your shop, and there's there's this bush plaque here and, and NASCAR plaque there for the pole. Yep. Um, what do you think was the the secret to your success in that qualifying proudness? Uh, I don't know. I kind of took to that pretty well, like you say. And '87, mm. I won won a few poles, and then '88, I won actually eleven poles. Eleven. They took they took one no took one back because the race rained out we won the pole and then it started raining afterwards and they mm. took that pole away um 46 or 47 total 47 poles yeah let's 47 go with 47 poles. i like yeah. that number better it works makes <laughs> yeah. more sense it's more serendipitous yeah. that's right from 1991 to 1994 so this is 91 92 93 four seasons your average start was seventh and you only figure that in because probably there were a few combination races where the, you know, the South guys would come in and you'd probably have to start. Well, a you got to remember hmm. uh, back then when you were winning all those polls, you didn't start on the pole. Oh. You had to draw the beer cans. That's right. So this is a beer can draw. Okay. <laughs> okay. You could, win, you could win the pole and start 10th. Mm-hmm. The top 10 redrew every race. That was part of the show. I remember that. Yeah, I, I think they should bring that back. I think Granite <laughs> State kind of does that, but uh, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do something like that. I forget oh. what they do. Um, so you know, you're getting closer. The title still eludes you for a long time, and we're getting to 1993 and 1994, and you're second in points. Yeah, you climb the ladder. You're getting closer. You're getting closer. How frustrating was it to put so much effort in? and not have that championship? Because to me, it seems like that's what you're shooting well, for. Well, we talked about Paul Richardson in those 35 lap races. I think that might have been me. <laughs> really? Without, if I did not have somebody pulling back on my reins, I went out and I ran as hard as you could run and probably uh, a little too hard sometimes and, and burnt up the stuff that we did have. We had a lot of fast race cars and, and probably either got myself in a mess or burnt up the car one or the other. How much money are, are, is a, a top Bush North team spending in the early 90s? Mm. I would say probably, uh, trying to think back, early 90s, probably 150000 But you're racing for like purses of 53, 54, 55,000 uh, dollars per race. You know, were you able to make any money? Purses, yeah, yeah. No, purses. So the purses, no, your, yeah. your winnings were not that. <laughs> no, but, uh. we, and New Hampshire International was one of our biggest racetracks. You'd win mm-hmm. a lot of money. Most of them were, I, I don't know, $4,500 to win the race or something like that. Well, you mentioned, you bring up New Hampshire a couple of different times. Uh, 1994, you finally get that first big win at Loudoun. Tell me what that race was like. 94 was the first time I won 94. Okay, yeah. It was yeah. opening day. You come out the gates big time. I mean, okay. you guys just smoked them. We did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I can't remember. Yeah. I, I just know we won at New Hampshire. We won a, a few polls at New Hampshire. I think uh, five or six polls and won five or six, four or five races. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over the course of time, you, you yeah. that's been very yeah. successful for you. Yeah. Why do you think you did so well at that track? We compared- put a lot of emphasis on New Hampshire. That was our Daytona. Yeah. That was the Daytona race for all the Bush North guys. Uh, that's the way I looked at it anyway. Put a lot of emphasis on that. Um, I know in the later years, uh, I had one car that's all we raced is, was New Hampshire. A car that run, raced New Hampshire. Wow. New Hampshire and then uh, sometimes Stafford with that car. Same car. Flat mm-hmm. track, you know. It wasn't your high bank track. But, um, yeah, that that was definitely the highlight, winning that race. Um and getting that roll monkey off your back type of thing. It opened up in 1990, I believe, mm-hmm. New Hampshire National. 
Yep. So um, this isn't a day when, well, this day, 2021, you have for a quote unquote, what is now the Canon E series, you got 14, 16 cars showing up to a race. Mm-hmm. At Loudon and oh. other Bush North races, you have yeah. up to 50 cars showing up. Oh, yeah, more than that, Andy. I can remember back in the early 90s, I, I can remember they had consolation race and then they had what they call a hooligan race. Mm. Okay, and I, re- I remember seeing stats on where there was 70 and 80 cars at New Hampshire. Yep. I mean, everybody built a car to go to New Hampshire. I mean, after two or three years, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like maybe 92, 3, there was a lot of cars there. Yeah. And there was, you know, if you talk about a B feature, it wasn't a B feature. It was a hooligan race to get into the, yeah. <laughs> to the B After feature. they've already taken yeah. 36 to 38 cars. They still have another race. And, you know, obviously qualifying was your thing. You never really had. Did you ever have an issue of going to go to the B feature? Or did you have something where you missed the setup one week and you had to start at the back? Because to me, in my memory and, and looking through stats, you were generally up front for the most part those years. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't really remember that. I mean, we no. might have. We might have. You might find a, somewhere we broke during uh, qualifying or something. But uh, no, I don't remember that at all. In 1994, uh, the championship goes down to you and Dale Shaw, and it goes at Lime Rock. That's those traditionally the last race of the year. Now, I don't know what happened at Lime Rock that day. You were on the pole, but your car finished last, and you finished second in points. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to win the championship that day. Mathematically, you probably still did. But do you remember wrecking or having an engine issue in uh, yeah. Lime Rock? Yeah, we wrecked real bad in practice. Yeah, I believe that's the year we wrecked real bad in practice. I mean, destroyed the car in practice and took it to Mike Ricci's shop a few a few towns over and put a complete, pretty much a complete body on the car. I mean, right. we wrapped the car with duct tape. That's how much we wow. had to cut the sides off the car and wrapped it with duct tape. We have pictures of it with all duct tape side it wasn't painted um so what happens in the actual race itself it shows that i you, can't remember yeah no so you must have had i didn't know if there was something that happened where i can't um, remember yep 95 was the year we won the championship we yes. won that at lime rock that was against mike stefanik tell me about that year because you know we talk about um guys like ricky craven able to sell themselves and 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 get corporate sponsorship you were primarily with jordan lumber rc moore family mm-hmm. businesses but tic tac comes into the uh yep. into the yep. tic tac did it. it it was uh i think believe um alan avery and robbie crouch had that tic tac sponsorship before me if mm-hmm. i remember right and uh i think robbie was kind of slowing down at that point and got out of the race in the 93 4 mm-hmm. and uh the sponsorship was up for dibs, and a lot of people were looking at it. And I knew Ted Pusher w- with ADAP, which had helped me with Auto Palace, yeah. which had helped me a few years prior to that uh, with some associate sponsorship, I believe. I guess one year before that was some associate sponsorship with products and such. But anyway, he introduced me to Clayton Murphy, which was the Tic Tac uh, marketing representative. And... Clayton and I met for lunch one day, hit it right off. Uh, and I think that changed my whole aspect on how I was to race now. now really? I, yeah, I think because I now I had to represent not just a family business or relative's business, if you would, Jordan Lumbers. Right. I, I wasn't representing them in RC Moore. I was representing a, a corporation, a, you know, a... Uh, 
it was a whole different marketing strategy for me as far as how I had to act. <laughs> really? You know, so it, did they well, put the reins on you? Well, they didn't, but when you? I saw what I had to do for them as far as the marketing and, uh, and the press kits and the follow-ups after the races, that made a big difference. Because you, you had to do a post-race follow-up and send it out to the marketing people at Tic Tac oh, to okay. let them know what you, how you did. <laughs> so, you know, I think that uh, kept me in check a little bit more because prior to that, I think I'd been, uh, probably had a few letters from NASCAR and been slapped <laughs> on the wrist a few times. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of it. Yes. Well, how much did having the, you know, it's you bring up that point. It's also the year, of course, you win the championship. Mm-hmm. Do you think, I wouldn't say having the reins put on you, but, or... Um, do you think having to change your mindset a little bit helped you become a champion? Oh, yeah. yeah. And you also notice in the stats, that's the only year they only won one race. Yes. <laughs> when I was very competitive, winning a lot of poles, a lot of races, and that's the only year I won, I won one race, and I ran, won that over to Beechridge over here, and I lapped the whole field except the third-place car. In our next installment, Kelly's son Ryan takes the wheel, immediately has success in the American-Canadian Tour, but not the kind of success that the guy who runs it says he's ready for. So Tom calls me up and talks to me about why he black flagged him out of it. He said, and uh, he says, you know, he can't spin the guy. Whoever spins any contact, they both go to the rear. And I said, well, from my understanding, the guy was blocking him, clearly blocking him, Tom. He said, well, that could be, but he's not ready to win. He's not ready to win. And, I, and right then I stopped him and, I, and we talked about that. And I said, what do you mean he's not ready to win? He said he hasn't paid his dues. When he's ready to win, I'll let you know. <laughs> and uh, wow. when he's ready to win, that's when he'll win. Stage number three of Kelly Moore, next time out on the Open Trailer Podcast.